Amen. 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 And the people who loved Jesus and the people who thought maybe I could love Jesus said, Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, good morning, First Press. Good morning. It is so good to be here. And it's good to see all of your faces from this angle. It's been a long time. And we have been outside, hiding in the back a little bit, outside, or like many of you, watching from home. Um, and so it's, it's good to be here with you. Um, and it's also wonderful to be continuing this sermon series in the lectionary. And if you are following along, which no pressure, if you're not, don't worry about it. We did do a switcheroo, it's okay. Um, if we're, as we're following along in this section in the lectionary, I really love this title, Extraordinary Texts for Ordinary Times. Because personally, I tend to want to rush through the ordinary to get to the good stuff, to get to Advent, and even to get to the melancholy and the reflectiveness of Lent. I would sometimes prefer that over the ordinary. And yet, this series invites us to see the extraordinary things that God is doing even in the mundane. And so, as we come to our gospel reading this morning, uh, would you join me together in prayer? Lord, would you open our hearts this morning to experience what extraordinary reversal you are doing in our lives and in the lives of our community and the neighborhoods around us. May we see something ever new in your word and may it shift our hearts towards the way of Jesus. Amen. So our reading for this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 1 and 7 through 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. And when he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher and then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or sisters or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, Invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a meal is, after all, not just food that helps fuel our bodies, although it is that. It's also how we do life together. 
And so whether it's a humble meal by the side of the road, a coffee that we grab in between working hours, or a grand wedding banquet, it's how we gather. It's also how we care for one another. If there's a gathering, there's food. When we experience loss, there's food. And so we come around and it's been more challenging, right? These last few years, this idea of the essential nature of what it means to gather together and share a meal has been completely unended. And we've had to be creative in how we get together and eat. And Jesus spends quite a bit of time eating in the Gospels. He eats with his disciples. He eats with tax collectors. He eats with Pharisees. He feeds thousands. He eats fancy meals. He makes wine, and he also eats simple meals of bread and fish. And this conversation here is just one of three meals that he eats with the Pharisees in the Gospel of Luke. And so because we've got Pharisees in conversation with Jesus, I want to say a few things about our friends, the Pharisees. Because they tend to be hard to relate to. And I expect those who crafted the lectionary included just verse 1 and then this section in 7 through 14 because they wanted us to have the context. And they didn't want to make the preacher have to do as much work to be like, okay, here's the context, right? So they gave us verse 1 because we want to talk about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, you know, it, it says in the text, it's like a ruler of the Pharisees. But the Pharisees, Pharisees didn't necessarily have rulers like we think. But they did have a pecking order. And they also tend to come across as maybe the elite. But the Pharisees, most of them were craftspeople. Paul, who we know is a Pharisee, uh, was a craftsperson himself. And the ancient historian Josephus talks about Pharisees and says they aimed to live simply and eschew luxury and focus on the commandments, even following commandments that were not set down in scripture, so that they made sure they would follow the commandments. And so Luke kind of stereotypes the Pharisees here and elsewhere in the gospel, and the view we often get of them is kind of exclusively negative, which serves as a pretty good foil for Jesus, but maybe allows us to avoid empathizing with them too much. And yet, in their own context, the Pharisees probably would have appeared more respectable, dedicated people who went above and beyond in their adherence to their religious life. And so for those of us type A people in the room, like myself, this might feel a little awkward and close to home. After all, all of us are either Hermione Granger or we're Harry Potter and Ron Weasley who find Hermione Granger's know-it-all overachieving tendencies really quite annoying until they get to know her a little bit, and then they become friends. And so we read this text with an eye to Jesus' presence, sitting with these Pharisees, also with Luke's characterization of them. Maybe he falls in the Harry Potter and Ron Weasley camp. And Jesus speaking to us in our cross-cultural reading of an ancient text. And so Jesus is sitting with the Pharisees and they're eating together, hosted by one of them with some level of prestige in that pecking order, and they're watching him. They're watching him with suspicion. What is this guy gonna do next? They're giving him a little side eye. 
And Jesus observes them, and then he takes the teaching moment. His first address is to his fellow guests. Don't be so presumptuous as to take that first seat near the important guests. Take the lesser seat that you might not be publicly shamed, and then in the process, shame your host. And his comment is not particularly radical, given that Proverbs 25, 6 through 7, says something pretty similar. It says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. And so Jesus is talking in a language that his listeners, who would have known the scriptures, understand. One of honor and shame, and one of scriptural wisdom. And this is pretty common sense, right? You don't want to be in that awkward position where you walk and you take the seat at the concert, and then the person comes and says, I'm sorry, your ticket says that you're in the nosebleed seats back there, not in the orchestra section. And we understand this too. Status is a language that unfortunately we understand all too well in our own context, even though each of us might experience hierarchy and shame and honor in different ways. We understand the hierarchy of professional rankings. We understand academic achievements, We understand grades. We understand what it means to be the person who's put in the game first every single time and the person who's put in in the last five minutes and the person who stays on the bench for most of the season. We understand who is perceived as prestigious and we understand who feels excluded. And we might feel excluded ourselves. Jesus speaks about the present here. He talks about this idea of status because it's practical and we understand it. It gets deep down into us. But he also talks about the future, about final things. And so he speaks it to the breaking in of the kingdom of God, echoing his teaching the chapter before, where he says, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. He talks about the final banquet God's banquet table. And he throws a heavenly reversal at the situation from the Pharisees to us. Our human systems of ranking have no bearing on God's table. Whether we perceive ourselves to be typically in first or last place, this reversal should be good news to us. Because in this table, we're free from worrying about losing the ranking that we have. We're free from striving to get just a little higher. We are free to know that even when we find ourselves in last place, Jesus is flummoxing the system in preparation for a different banquet. And the banquet God throws operates on God's grace, not our pecking order. And this grace is where we see the hand of God at work in our salvation from the endless human striving of right now and the grace that God has set the table for us in the future. And it's not about what we do, and yet, we're also invited to respond to God, our gracious host, in a way that we can. We respond because we're being transformed and we're participating in what God is doing in setting this new banquet. And so Jesus also turns to the host. Host, he says, next time, invite different guests. Awkward. Very awkward. Uh, The Pharisees are stunned into silence, but when reading this text, 
myself and maybe you as well have so many questions. Jesus, do you actually expect us to, to do this? To throw out our guest list and get a new guest list? After all, after a few years of pandemic, we really miss our family and our friends. We maybe haven't seen them. We're maybe disconnected. But because our last section dealt with the kingdom of God and last things, we might have decent enough reason to see his new guest list not just as spiritual, but also as practical. For one, Jesus notices that despite the deep religious practice of the Pharisees, their hearts and their habits are pretty much the same as most people in their society. And to change our habits, usually we need some kind of new spiritual practice. Care for those who are poor and widowed and the stranger is not a new thing. Jesus echoes the prophets in their concern that God's people bring in those who are on the margins and that hospitality is essential to our way of life. And the Pharisees might have actually already been involved in some kind of giving to those who are typically excluded. But what Jesus proposes echoes what Shane Claiborne, who's a writer and uh, lives in a new monastic community, writes. He says, very often the great tragedy of the church is not that rich Christians do not care about the poor, but it is that rich Christians do not know the poor. And when the rich meet the poor, then riches have no meaning. An invitation to dine together invites conversation and story and relationship. We rely more on our ability to listen than to speak. We start caring about different things when we spend time with those who struggle to survive in our current system. We see anew what perhaps we could not see out of the lenses of our own privilege or position. And in turn, we learn to see differently and we start living differently because we're living alongside those who we share a table with. Sitting together at a table allows us to get to know one another. And when we meet, the systems of wealth and status, the pecking order, start to lose their importance. We each become guests at God's abundant banquet. And our perspective starts to change. This text is convicting to me personally. I moved into a second story duplex a year ago. And as an able-bodied person, I didn't really think anything about it until I went to invite somebody over to my house who has mobility challenges, and I realized the steps up to the front door that are so steep, and the fact that then there's another flight of stairs to get into our living space. And it caused me some pause. I had to change my invitation, not to uninvite that person, but to change how I invited them so that we could be together. And so when we make an invitation to somebody, we have to think from their perspective, right? We make that invitation and we say, what would be hospitable? What is truly welcoming to the one who I am inviting in? What would make my guest feel comfortable at home and truly honored? And asking these questions helps us push back also against a reading of this passage, which might seem like this is a pity invite, and it's not. Because this is not a pity invite. Jesus is not saying that. 
And as Joni Erickson Tata, who writes and ministers with her, within her experiences as a quadriplegic, she notes, you know, the Pharisees in Luke 14 might not have realized it, but in many ways they were more helpless than the poor and disabled people they victimized by prejudice and discrimination. This passage has much less to do with helping and more to do with reversing the structural systems that exclude those who experience poverty and disability. And in order to actually invite a guest and provide comfort and honor, we might have to change the very structure of our homes, our church home, and our neighborhood. And when Jesus speaks about repayment, we also aren't to assume that those who are poor or disabled cannot be wonderful banquet hosts themselves. Jesus raises up the example of the generosity of the poor widow later on in Luke 21, and we can't presume that disability and abundant hospitality cannot coincide beautifully. However, we also recognize the structures that often prevent those with less resources or with disabilities from actually living into their gifts as hospitable hosts. And so the repayment might be unequal at first, but it also isn't the point. A new guest list is good news to the host that they may start inviting with generosity, regardless of whether or not that invitation is going to be returned. And a new guest list is good news for the guest who can finally move freely through the world and whose stories will be heard and integral and who can become the host themselves. And it's good news for all of us because we are at the grace of God's banquet table. So how do we move forward? I realize that to talk about this new guest list is challenging and convicting. It certainly is for me, right? This is a challenging text in many ways. And so the idea of throwing dinner parties now still seems risky to take this seriously. It still seems controversial. How are we to, to do this? How are we to balance the practical with also the future? We're still missing our family and friends, and yet we want to invite everyone in and maybe make a bigger table. What does it look like to rewrite the guest list in the way of Jesus? And so here we see that Jesus' words are already and not yet. We are called to live as if God's banquet is already happening, that we already have that abundant, huge table, and that those roles are already reversed. And yet, we also can admit when we're beyond our comfort zone. We also can admit that we're struggling to figure out how to do this together. We can also have the conversation and learn to listen anew. Hospitality, like any spiritual practice, is not something that is one and done. It's a practice. We start it, and we fail, and we have really awkward moments, and then we apologize, and we try again, and we learn to live together in community and we stumble forward into God's future for us. And there's so many people within this congregation who are already doing this, who are already practicing hospitality in so many ways. And so I find that this is not necessarily just me telling you what this is doing, but I also hear stories from this congregation about the things that are already going on. And so it's both an encouragement and a reminder that we can move forward. We might be hosting one another in our neighborhood parish. If you are blessed to have a backyard or if you're hosting at a local park and throwing that invitation a little wider than we normally would. 
making sure together that no one is excluded for lack of a ride or an accessible entrance or simply a friendly, non-condescending conversation. We might join one another to serve meals to anyone who needs a meal, either at street meal or serving on our front porch out here on the patio. And coming not with an idea of, quote, helping, but to actually have conversations, to build relationships, and to hear the stories of those in our community. Maybe these relationships that we start building both here in our church home and also in our homes and our various neighborhoods, we build together as we pray and dream creatively about how these questions can solidify over meals here in Berkeley and around the Bay Area where all of us live, and even around the country for many of those listening. We might move slowly out of our present and into the vision of what Jesus describes. The last are first, and the first are last. And each of us are free from striving for status, of holding on to it, of worrying about it. And those who have been excluded can find welcome and honor. And all of us find the grace of God and the love of Jesus Christ at God's holy banquet. Amen.